Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 233 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 6th, 13th, excuse me, 2012. I almost screwed the date up there. August 13th is not too far along. And uh, we have a great show for you this week on the podcast. One week of USC fall camp is in the books. We're going to talk all about it with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer, coming up later on the show. We have Coach Harvey Hyde in the very first segment. He's been out to USC practice, and we're going to pick his brain, see what he thinks is going on on the practice field. If you have any questions or comments, we definitely love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail two different ways. Call 206-888-6755, or go right to peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail on the left side of the page. Just click on that link. Leave it right on your computer. And without further ado, we do have Coach Harvey Hyde up right now, all the way from Catalina Island. Coach, how you doing, sir? What's going on? Hey, Ryan, I'm doing great. You know, I was at practice on either Wednesday or Thursday, then I was at the scrimmage on Saturday, and everybody was walking up to me and says, what are, they, what are you doing at Catalina all the time? <laughs> he says, you have a house there? Do you live there? Do you work there? What do you do there all the time? I said, well, I come over here because I like it. I sneak over here. I'm going to be over here for a couple of days before I come back and watch them practice. And the scrimmage that they're going to have, I think it's on Sunday. And I like to just get away and get ready for the season. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's, it's popular. And if you've come over here, people, it is packed, but it's hot. There's no breeze, and it's hot over here on the island, but it's a great place to get away. And it doesn't take me long to get here, Ryan. It's, it's right around the corner, right out of Long Beach. I come over here and relax and read uh, publications and get ready for football and do my podcast with you and it's just a lot of fun i love it over here i love it too i haven't been for a while i gotta get back out over there uh before we jump into things i just wanted to thank our sponsor southern california tickets sctickets.com 1-800-888-7287 is the phone number if you need tickets for anything lots of sporting events coming up here in southern california go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up just tell curtis Gerard, I mean, Gerard, you can say Gerard, but Harvey Hyde and Ryan sent you over there. They will take care of you. Uh, Coach, I, you've been out there for a couple of practices. The The scrimmage actually was on Friday. It was kind of weird. They did a Coliseum scrimmage on Friday. I'm getting my days mixed up as well. And I know I saw you out on Howard Jones Field. Anything that jumped out to you, uh, the, the first couple of practices you've watched? Well, first of all, uh, the practice I saw at Howard Jones Field, I was really impressed with the speed of the team. I thought the team defensively had tremendous speed, great talent out there. As a unit itself, as a group of players, uh, I would like to see another group of players that had uh, the type of athlete that is assembled that is assembled on the on the practice field. Tremendous speed, good work habits. Uh, I watched them; they worked very hard. It was hot as heck. And I was really impressed with the coaching that was going on on the field. I was up close. You can get up real close to the coaches and listen to what they're saying. You, you, you see them put their arm around them and show a little love, but then you can see them spank them too when they need to be spanked. And I think that's the main thing you need to do is talk their language at times, not always just, please, would you line up over here? That wasn't a very good job. Sometimes you have to let people know it was a horrible job in the way you say that. But uh, when I look at the different positions and I see the talent at tight ends and I see the talent on the offensive line, I thought that the offensive line was farther ahead as far as watching their zone blocking and different schemes that they have than I'd seen them after. The, that was their third practice, I think. Uh, the receivers, a great group of receivers, a great group of defensive backs. It's harder to watch the defensive side of the football because they're down way on the other end of the practice field where you can't really observe the individual techniques. But when they got together for some group work, I was really uh, impressed, but yet not surprised because I've said it all along that Leonard Williams is a great football player and he's going to be a great football player. And 
he certainly, I think, has uh, impressed a lot of people, and probably is farther ahead than a lot of freshmen have been in at his at his this time of of uh, his freshman year. Uh, Aguilar, I can't say enough about as far as a great athlete, which he is, is another freshman. So I, I would say uh, I like the coaching staff. I like the way they coach. They coach almost every down, which I think is very important to coach every down on, especially individual works. I saw some drills that I hadn't seen before in the stock blocking drill. I've always talked about receivers, not only receivers, but they're team players, and they have to be a part of a run. And I watched that drill very closely and watched the defensive backs being taught how to get off the stock block and make a tackle. So I thought the first practice I saw on Wednesday, I saw a lot of teaching. Saw a lot of good coaching, saw a lot of great athletes, and I thought it was very spirited because it was the first day in pads, and when you go to the first day in pads, you always have a good practice because kids are fired up, ready to go. As the fall goes along, kids' legs start to get tired, and you start to see them slow down a little bit, and you have to really harass them more and push them more to get through a good practice. So uh, that's what I saw on Wednesday. All right. Uh, well, you mentioned the defense, and we did have a voicemail question uh, regarding that defense. I'll play that for you right now, Coach. Here you go. Hello, this is John from Santa Barbara. My question uh, concerns uh, the Trojan defense. question is for Coach Hyde or anybody else that would like to take a crack at it. Basically, my concern is that uh, for the past couple of years, the Trojan seem, uh, defense seems to be staying in the field much too long. Especially disconcerting is the fact that uh, on pass plays, especially on third down long, uh, the opposition is, seems to be purely consistently making first down. And the ball, it doesn't seem to be any Trojan players around the ball when they catch the ball. Uh, I know uh, we have good players and some of those players played for the last couple of years. So I'm not sure it's the players themselves, but there's something wrong uh, going on. And I know everybody's hopeful this year, but uh, can you tell me what has got to change for things to get better? What was the problem? Thank you. Well, thank you for calling. And uh, I, I have, observed, I have uh, observed the same thing, and, and it's frustrating to see it be third and eight and some team get a first down by the player going down and running an outer, running and come back and making 10 yards and first down and third down after you played your butt off and down one and down two. And I, I think uh, the philosophy in the past has been uh, keep it in front of you, bend but don't break, don't allow the big play, and uh, a team can't drive the length of the field on us without making a mistake. We'll, we'll, we'll create something on defense to take the ball away from them. At least I know that was Pete Carroll's philosophy. I know that I've seen more man technique now with USC, and I believe they have the type of defensive backs that can play, play man, and that means they get right up in your face and they challenge you. Now, when you challenge someone like that, then you know the ball has to be thrown perfectly, and it, things don't happen that easily now. Uh, the quarterback, you put a little heat on him, too, and he doesn't have the time to throw the football. You play man. You run well with the football, and uh, you cut those short routes down. Now they're going to try to go deep on you when you're playing man and comeback routes and so on. So you've got to work on those a lot where you you go down and you try to go out and up and you try to go deep on a streak and then you come back. And you, But those those take more timing, and they have to – happen perfectly to make those plays work. You're going to get you can reach up and take the ball away a little bit so you can stop and the defensive back doesn't see it. These are all the things that uh, there's goods and bads of doing everything. But I think they have the type of athlete where you're going to see more man defense. You're going to see more people getting after people, putting pressure on the other team. Because I think they understand you can't stay on the field very long with the lack of depth on the defensive front. And what I'm concerned with is they're going to play about six or seven teams that run no huddle offenses. Zero. And you didn't just think about it now from Oregon to 
Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, UCLA. And when you play these hurry-up offenses, Oregon, uh, you got to get off the field, but you don't have enough players to rotate in there to keep pace with them. So you've got to make some big plays on defense and get off the field. Otherwise, they're going to wear you down. So you need to have some rush and rest. And the same thing on offense. Uh, you got to rest your defense when you're really on offense by staying on the field. Uh, it's great to score quickly, don't get me wrong, but your defense doesn't get much rest. And the same thing, you've got to grind it out and when you and run the clock down and have some ball control and, and hope that you can rest your defense. Your defense has to get rest. Now, they have good depth at linebacker. I think they're too deep across and they can play. In the secondary, I have no problem with their, with their depth there, so you don't see any problem there. But when you look at the front, right now you might have two deep, and they have to prove themselves yet. I know you have one deep, uh, and you're hoping that the, the young players come through and Tavai out of defensive end will come through and Townsend will come through. Kevin Green's got to come through. Horton, I thought, had looked real good on Wednesday when I saw him running around. Williams looked good. Uko looked good. Woods is working hard. Uh, but you got too deep, and that's it. So you can't have any injuries either. So I think the lack of depth is something that's so important on the defensive front is why they can't stay on the field. They've got to get off the field. They can't allow them to drive up and down the field. And I think they've got to get some better plays out of their secondary as far as playing up tight, doing some blitzes, taking some chances, and I think that'll work. I agree with the caller 100%. You've got to get up there and challenge the receivers and go after the quarterback. All right. Cool. Thanks for that question. Let's move on to Tarion. And, uh, Coach, I know you were out on the scrimmage on Friday at the Coliseum, and we saw a couple of times the running backs put the ball on the ground. Terrian's question was, how do you deal with a running back like D.J. Morgan, who struggles with ball security at times? Well, the first thing you do, you get him right back up and put him in the play. I differ a little bit on running a lap and missing plays for fumbling the football. The kid didn't try to fumble the football on perfect on purpose, okay? Now, of course, this is my philosophy. Coach Kiffin has his philosophy, and all those coaches uh, have done their, a lot with their coaching career. But my, my career is the only way you learn not to fumble is carry the football. Get used to carrying the football. Get hit a lot. Find out that it doesn't hurt to get hit. And remember, you're going to get stripped. Uh, I think the first thing I would do is put the kid back up, run the same damn play, and say, see, it will works. Because it's confidence, too. If you, if you keep dwelling on fumbling and so on, a kid starts to doubt himself. Say, well, I'm not going to play anymore now. I'm through playing. They'll never play me now because I fumbled. Hell, we got to play you. You're a great player. You're on scholarship. D.J. Morgan's a great back. you got to develop him. And the only way young players learn not to fumble the football, and they don't fumble on purpose, is to play football. Because they, if you watch a practice now on defense, every single play, everybody's trying to strip the football. It's part of tackling. Defensive back, linebackers on special teams, even the linemen do a drill where the linemen try, if they happen to get a football, they carry it properly so that if they're running down the field that someone doesn't strip the ball. So I think you practice it. And you let Buck Allen, he fumbled too. Run the play again, run the play again, run the play again. And eventually, you won't be fumbling. Eventually, you'll, the more carries you get, the more confidence you get. And the better you get as far as timing and seeing the hole and getting used to getting hit and switching the ball from hand to hand. So I think that's my philosophy. My philosophy is, yeah, you're not happy about it when a back fumbles, but you get up, you put your arm around him, and you say, okay, time to go back again uh let's do it again let's do it again let's do it again and before long you will see that back will not fumble because he gains confidence and gets used to playing football if you're not getting hit then you don't know how to hold on to the football and you're not used to it and uh, i think that's the way i would cure it and i think that's the only way to cure it you can't just run a lap and stay out and not play you got to get another shot at it you know, you don't make a tackle. Sometimes you get duped out of tackle. I mean, you're not going to play anymore? If Barkley throws an interception, he's not going to play anymore? 
That's ridiculous. So you got to give this kid the same chance. Okay. Uh, thanks for that one, Tarian. Uh, Bill has a question, and for people who don't know, uh, Lane Kiffin this year did have a, I say did because he doesn't anymore, a vote in the coaches poll, the USA Today coaches poll, and in practice last week, um, there were some questions about would he vote USC number one. He said he wouldn't, um, but then it came out that he actually did, and the USA Today published that. Um, and this, as of this morning, Lane Kiffin actually decided not to vote anymore, so he's giving up his right to vote in that poll. Uh, Bill wrote in, uh, when the coach's vote is supposed to be confidential, why would they release Lane Kiffin's vote? They said something about protecting the poll's integrity. All Lane said was, if he was them, other voters, he wouldn't vote USC number one. How is that affecting the poll's integrity? It seems like they were just out to embarrass Lane Kiffin. So, Coach, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. The whole situation is kind of crazy. Well, it's crazy, and it's, it's built into a story, and it shouldn't be a story. It's ridiculous. First of all, here it is, the media not supposed to be doing what they're supposed to do now, and uh, I don't see anybody ripping on them for releasing it. They're all ripping on or writing about Lane Kiffin's comments. I don't blame him for not voting. Who cares? And he said that. Who cares? First of all, first of all, head football coaches, as he mentioned, don't have time to watch college football games and read publications and know who everyone thinks is number one as far as their number one, or two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, wherever you put them. Normally, you have help. You have a graduate assistant or somebody put that together for you and say, Coach, this is what we think. You go through it and make a few changes here and there, and you send it in. Now, what I would have said is the reason I voted our team number one, I read all the publications and all the newspaper articles, and I agreed with you guys. You guys all thought we were number one, and you guys think you know everything, so what I'm going to do is go along with you. Where he got caught up, he caught up saying he didn't vote himself for number one. What he should have said is, I'm not divulging who I voted for. That's the privacy of me being on a poll. If he'd have said that, he'd have been fine. So he didn't say that. And then the, and then whoever released it or found out about it couldn't wait to tell everybody, you know, this couldn't wait. That was going to be a story. It's tremendous, but, uh, no story. And I'm a little disappointed. He gave it up, but it's one less thing he has to do. Like he says, who really cares what it comes down to at the end of the year, who is the best team in the country? And it's uh, less for him to do less to him to worry about, but, but I hate to see him get himself in this position. It was ridiculous. It was a pretty ridiculous uh, situation. Dan Weber talked about it a lot too. And, and, and I think what his point was is that he meant it to be, if I was you, I wouldn't vote USC number one because USC only has 75 scholarship players. Um, it didn't, I mean, I was there. I heard him say it. It's, to me, it sounded like he said that he, he didn't vote for USC number one. But I think what really, and when he clarified it later, it was more of, if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't have voted USC number one. So there was some definitely confusion there. It took off like, you know, wildfire as soon as that came out. It came out really quickly. He was never contacted, and Lane Kiffin mentioned that a couple times, Coach, that they never called him or wrote him a, a letter or something saying, hey, here's what's going on, and he couldn't. He didn't have a chance to really defend himself. So what Bill was asking, are they kind of out to get him? It, it seems like in that case, I don't know if they would have done that to another coach like they would have done it to Lane Kiffin. No, I don't know if that's true or not. But, yeah, you know, when you're number one and you're supposed to be pretty good in your USC, they, yeah, they're going to point at you a little bit more than they are uh, someone else, okay? Because uh, what goes along with your job is the good and the bads and what sells newspapers. And uh, that sells newspapers because people see the headline or whatever it is and they want to read about it. So you've got to realize that anything you say, you have to think about before you say it. I think sometimes I've heard him be, re be real strong on things when he said, we don't talk about that. And that's the end of it. And it's over with. Done. And I think that's, uh, but sometimes the press doesn't really want to stop there. And they try to do uh, their own research and so on. You know, there's got to be some respect towards a coach, too, that a coach doesn't want to talk about certain type of topics during certain times of the season. And, uh, but that now is a little bit different. There isn't such a thing anymore off the record, okay? It used to be off the record, this is what happened. But I wouldn't off the record anybody if I was coaching today. 
Um, okay, uh, one last question for you, Coach. Uh, this is from Patrick. He said, I was wondering if you knew about Stephon Johnson, if he signed with any NFL teams this season. Does he still hang out at USC practices or camps? Last I heard there was an unfortunate lawsuit, but I don't know what the result was. He was one of my favorite recent players, and I hope with all that went went through, the story would have a happy ending. I love listening to – I've listened to every podcast. Thank you, Coach Dan Gerard, for providing such a great – providing, excuse me, such a great service. That's from Patrick. Well, I don't know uh, if Stefan's with a team or not. I know, unfortunately, that he had that uh, accident, which – hindered him as far as a football player at USC and is very fortunate that it wasn't more serious and those type of things happen in, in uh, football training. I've lost players for an entire year due to injuries in the weight room. You push yourself. I think the Canard uh, hurt himself in the weight room. Those things happen, but you push yourself to a maximum effort. And obviously I could see right now how he missed that little, uh, ledge where you put the weight back on the, the, the bench. Uh, I hope he has an opportunity to play in the pros. Uh, if he doesn't, uh, uh, that's everybody doesn't play in the pros. So you got to find a way to go out and, and be football ends for everybody at some time. As far as the settlement and, and their lawsuit and, and this and that, uh, I don't know the outcome of that, but I know that whenever you, sue a university or you sue anybody you have a little bit of different relationships with those people so I think he'd probably feel a little strange coming around uh, uh, I would think uh, but I don't know uh, and I don't know what his future is I don't know how healthy he is or anything but I want to wish him the best no matter what he decides to do and I'm glad that uh, he's well and if he can't play football because of whatever reason, uh, then uh, get started on what you're going to do and do it well. That's the best way I can describe that. And then, Coach, just to add, like I have not seen him around at all uh, since all of that uh, went down. I don't. I don't think. I wouldn't suspect you're going to see him around the USC campus, hanging around. I, there's obviously going to be some sort of strained relationship there. His lawsuit was settled. Uh, undisclosed terms um, so I, that's not there anymore and the last I saw he signed with the Washington Redskins practice squad I think in January but I haven't seen anything else as an update on that uh, I'm not sure if he's played in in the preseason game or if he's even with the practice squad anymore I couldn't see him if he signed somewhere else I think it would I would have been able to find a, a link or something like that but uh, if someone knows if you know what's going on you can just write us at podcast at com and well updated, but I did look around a little bit. Couldn't find exactly where he was right now. Um, so I'm not sure what the, the rest of his NFL career uh, will look like. If there's any career left, we'll see what happens. And if we find anything out, we'll let you guys know. Um, One last thing I do want to mention. You sure. know, uh, Saturday I had an opportunity to go to an ex-Trojan's wedding, Daryl Rideau. Oh, great. And I just I just want to congratulate Daryl and his lovely wife, Cheryl Lynn, for their uh, – uh, their wonderful marriage. I told him when I first met her, I said, buddy, don't screw this up. She's a keeper. <laughs> and when I saw him at the wedding, he says, coach, I remembered what you said and I didn't screw it up. <laughs> I said, you certainly didn't. She was a beautiful bride. He was the happiest I've seen him. So for all of Dale Rideau's friends out there, uh, just wanted to pass that on. Great kid, great Trojan. And I want to congratulate him. Thanks for yeah. that coach. That's great. We love, we love Daryl. He's been a, We've we've had him do stuff on the site in, in the past. He's always been fun and a uh, great guy. I'm glad he's really happy. He is a happy little camper. Okay, great. Uh, well, Coach, thanks again for joining us on the Peristyle Podcast. It's always fun talking to you. We'll, uh, I guess we'll get you on next week and get your thoughts after one more week of fall camp. We'll do it. I'll be at the scrimmage and I'll be at practice this week, and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit uh, longer uh, I thought maybe you might ask me about the scrimmage, how what I thought of the scrimmage, but you know what? We'll keep everybody in suspense. Yes. What do you think of that? Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. Hey, back in 30 seconds, we'll talk with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. 
We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us. And uh, normally, Dan, it's supposed to be practice this morning, but Lane Kiffin uh, called called and canceled. So the first morning practice of Monday, no longer going to happen. We'll still be out there in the afternoon, but that's kind of a welcome, uh, a welcome addition. It's been hot out there the whole time. Yeah, I was thinking maybe we would be doing this one live from uh, the start of practice, but uh, uh, I think good decision. I think they, they, they the three uh, Saturday, Sunday, three practices. I think they went uh, worked real hard and uh, got a lot done. But uh, I think uh, a really good decision to kind of let them ease into the week again this week. Um, well, the, one of the big questions, we've got this from a few places. Melvin uh, wrote this in, too. Uh, he wants to know, it's a weekend of practice. Who do you think is going to take Devon Kennard's spot? How do we look at that position in terms of being a st- is the status the same, or is it going to be a weak spot? That's, again, from Melvin. Some other people wrote in about that as well. You know what? I think, uh, I think on balance, it, 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 it's going to be like a lot of things. I think they've had a knack on this team of of uh, turning what seems to be negatives into positives. And I think the way you can look at it is um, they they're more guys, I think, think now, you know, I've got a chance to really play. And so I think what you're seeing is uh, uh, a guy like Kevin Green is showing more than we've ever seen him. You know, he's big and strong and fast, and he just can't, you know, play – a whole lot of football. We're seeing Morgan Breslin really, uh, you know, got a terrific motor. You uh, you better put a body on him or he's going to be in the middle of your backfield. Uh, now, we don't know what uh, what the outcome is with Greg Townsend Jr., but he's, uh, he's certainly stepped up his game. But he, he got, a, got caught on a play action against no, the grain and, uh, and, and injured his ankle yesterday, uh, you know, in the afternoon practice. But, um uh, I think what what we're seeing is we're probably seeing more guys stepping up uh, quicker. Uh, for example, yesterday when they got into goal line, it wasn't so much you noticed any one of them. You noticed just the fact that they really uh, played as a group and as a team and played fast and uh, and came you know really hard. So uh, and and I don't think they're completely. Uh, according to Coach Orgeron yesterday after practice, he said they're still going to be, you know, moving people around and mixing and matching and, and see, seeing which way is the best way to go. But I like the idea of uh, the defense really being a group effort and really, uh, you know, a chance for uh, where you don't, you know, focus on one guy or another guy or, oh, we really need this guy or we really need that guy. I think, you know, teams are going to have injuries. And I think the good teams are the ones where you've got guys ready to step up. And so uh, I wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, uh, as great a kid as, you know, as Devon is and all that, there may be ways in which, uh, you know, that the defensive linemen, younger guys compensate for that because of, uh, you know, the opportunities there, they're going to get a lot of reps. They're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, chances in practice. And uh, I think, uh I'm not as, uh, you know, I think more of them have stepped up at the opportunity than, uh, than people would have realized. So uh, I think that that thing uh, not going to turn out so bad. Um, okay. Tarion wanted to know, and uh, if, if people don't realize, uh, we haven't been able to give really status on injuries. Uh, Lane Kiffin's not addressing them at all. And, and Tarion wanted to know, Dan, any reason been given for Coach Kiffin not giving out the injury status? Well, I mean, it just, uh, you know, 99.9999% uh, uh, strategic, I guess, is, is how it was it was determined. It's not so much a privacy issue, uh, even though there is a, a privacy component 
to uh, you know the HIPAA is the law that uh, in terms of privacy and academics and all that and uh, and health uh, where that is covered to some extent. But I think uh, essentially this is a uh, a case of uh, he's not uh, he doesn't have to and uh, it probably doesn't help them in terms of uh, opponents. You know in terms of figuring out who's going to be uh, ready to do what, where, and, uh, and and all of those implications. So he's just not going to, you know, a lot of a lot of teams don't do it. Oregon doesn't do it, for example, at all. And not only that, they don't let, you, let anybody see him in practice either. But uh, uh, USC probably is the most open program in America in, in terms of our access to the program, in terms of us being able to see what we can see. Uh, it'll just require a little more guesswork on our part in terms of uh, uh, when people are coming back and outcomes and things like that. And I think during game week, uh, you may not know uh, what the status, uh, you know, if it's one of those situations where by, uh, you know, Thursday when they don't, you know, go as hard, someone might be back from an injury, but you can't really tell. We don't, uh, and we're not there for the uh, Friday walkthrough. So uh, uh, we may be guessing on some of these uh, kids, and if we're guessing, I guess the uh, the person, you know, the people you're playing are also guessing. So uh, I think I think it, it comes right down to that. Okay. Uh, Kip in Virginia had a question. We're starting to get some more walk-on questions, Dan. I, I saw someone on the Peristyle request that you start interviewing some of the walk-ons, so I guess people are getting bored yeah. one week into camp. But uh, Kip in Virginia... Uh, he said there was a walk-on freshman that was talked about quite a bit, said he looked real good out there playing corner, he believes. He can't remember his name. I think he's talking about Ryan Dillard. Uh, he, said you, sure he, is, yeah. Yeah, he said you would have gotten a scholarship, but since we were depleted there, he had to walk on. I haven't heard him mention lately. I was wondering if he transferred. Thanks, and fight on. You were wondering if he transferred? That's yeah. He's still out there. There's pictures. <laughs> we have pictures. Of him. No, not to jump to a really negative conclusion. Uh, <laughs> absent any information. Uh, the thing is, they've got a whole lot of bodies in the secondary. Uh, he's working his way in. Uh, he's there every day. He's a factor. Uh, the thing about it is, and, and they will not talk about something like this, but if it were me, I would probably think, man, what a bonus this kid is. And he is a bonus uh, to have a, a scholarship quality player walk in, but he's at the position where they have the most bodies and have the most depth. My guess would be that in the back of their minds, he's penciled in as a red shirt because uh, they would be able to, in two years, scholarship him. And if he's a red shirt and goes five years, he would be able to have three scholarship years at USC. Plus, he'd be ready to go in the, in the program when they get the return to the 25 scholarship, the 25 signees. So uh, just because you haven't heard a lot about him, I think there's less uh, with some freshmen, uh, if, if there's a real chance they're going to play this year, uh, you know, they will really give them a shot uh, uh, right away and give them a lot of opportunities. I think he's in a, in a class where it's harder to make that decision, not because of his ability or his talent or almost anything about him, but the fact that uh, he really is, is, you know, what a wonderful thing to have a player like that, you know, here, ready to go, uh, don't have to recruit him, and uh, and you can scholarship him uh, for three years. Uh, hopefully that's kind of how the thinking's going, but when he's out there, you know, He's just like he was in the summer. He can play. He can run. He's tough. He's smart. Uh, you know, everybody, uh, you know, respects him and likes him and what have you. But uh, I don't know that they need – they think in their minds right now that they need to get him as ready at a position that's so deep. Well, the secondary is deep. Maybe, you know, corner if they have one or two, uh, you know, people get hurt or uh, – while he is, uh, you know, ineligible and, and can't come back, they, you know, they may change uh, change their mind about how they look at corner and how they look at Ryan Dillard. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, 
jump to the negative conclusion right away. Now he's he's out there and uh, he's a great kid. All right, yeah, no, he didn't transfer. He's still there. You can see him. We put some pictures up. I think he's in he's in the gallery, one of the galleries we put up at least. That's right, he is. Yes, yeah. yes, he is. Uh, well, let's go. We got a voicemail question. Let's go to that right now. Hey, Ryan, it's Noel from DC. Quick random question for you guys. I was wondering if there was any information regarding Trey Madden and whether or not he'd be moving back to linebacker, whether he'd be staying um, on the offense. Uh, I only asked because I noticed that he's still listed as uh, number 13, which is also, I believe, Max Wittick's number. Uh, so any information you have on that would be great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for all the hard work and fight on. Yeah, I think they decided they didn't have to they, – they, they didn't really have to do anything about the number issue this year since they're not going to push him to, to come back. And he's definitely coming back as a, as a running back. It's not even – uh, not even close. He was so, uh, you know, he couldn't have been as good, as good as he could be at linebacker. He could not have been as impactful a player as he was going to be as a running back. They were astonished at how good a running back he was. Uh, uh, he will bring something that that just, you know, there are very few. There were going to be very few players in the country with his burst and, uh, you know, 226 pounds. They couldn't get him off his feet. Uh, they were so excited about. I mean, they didn't really quite. They weren't quite able to hide it uh, in the spring once they saw him. But they were stunned at, at how much he would improve the offense. Uh, so uh, he's staying at running back without a doubt. He he gives them a dimension that uh, you know. For example, yesterday uh, at the in the goal line defense. Now the offense hadn't gotten prepared for that situation the way the defense this was a big deal for the defense and the new goal line uh you know situation stuff had been installed and they really kind of been you know talked down a little bit certainly the you know the front uh front guys uh the front line young front line guys and they really came after it and it would have been harder i mean john martinez wasn't in there probably the best blocker on the offensive line the strongest kid kind of had a i think a little bit of a pulled his pec uh, muscle, so he wasn't in it at the time. Uh, that would have helped. But having Trey Madden in there uh, changes everything in terms of the goal line. It just gives them a completely different dimension and different weapons, and uh, uh, he'll be a running back. All right. Uh, we have a question from Joe. He says, Dan, are there any regulations that would prevent major structural reconfigurations to the Coliseum because it's a historical landmark? I was recently purchasing tickets online, saw for certain games only seats in the corners of the par by the peristyle were available. Those sections have to be one of the worst in college football. I'd love to see the stands where the band sits filled in with concrete and seats added. They could then cover the corner sections with tarps and add the retired numbers. This would make the Coliseum a true football field. Am I out of my mind here? That's from Joe. Yeah, I, I, I do think the challenge is to uh, what do you do on the redesign of the Coliseum? Uh, uh, the slope, I think, you know, could be different. You know, is there a way that they can lower the field uh, and, uh, you know, increase the angle, uh, the viewing angle, and, and how do you do the closed end? I mean, they, obviously, when they had the uh, – you know, the uh, Olympic track and all of that, the field had to be, uh, you know, much, uh, much, you know, longer and, and wider than it really needs to be for a football field. So I think those are, you know, serious questions that, you, you know, USC has to take a look at. And, you know, obviously people say you have to keep the peristyle no matter what you do to the building. Uh, you know, is it one of those, things where, you know, you actually contemplate, uh, you know, taking down the, the old stadium uh, and, and putting a new one in the exact same footprint like, like Stanford did now. Obviously, Stanford went from 80,000 seats that were, you know, boards, uh, you know, uh, nailed to, uh, to dirt and then put in a, a metal, you know, 50,000-seat stadium, and that's not ever going to happen, I wouldn't think. But uh, – I would think there there are different ways they're going to be able to attack that. I mean, do you put up, for example, a separate building right behind the you know the Coliseum, let's say opposite the press box side, or even on the press box side that incorporates uh, uh, four or five levels of say private boxes in a new press box or something like that that that's accessed uh, say 
slightly separately. Uh, that it's right next to the Coliseum, hangs over the Coliseum, but it's a, a new building uh, uh, that, you know, is incorporated into the Coliseum. There are a lot of different ways to do it. And I, I, I would think once it all gets settled and USC gets control and all the lawsuits are gone away and everybody knows where the money is and, and what have you, uh, USC is going to take, you know, a serious look at what, you know, what is the best thing to do in terms of, all of those things in terms of all the, you know, restrooms and concession stands and uh, access, uh, you know, the tunnels, uh, you know, the uh, moving of the people back and forth, to, you know, to, the, to their seats. Uh, uh, and then I think somebody has said one of the big considerations will be the whole retrofitting, you know, for earthquakes uh, that will be required if they do that. And then they also have to, you know, they've got the, uh, you know, National Historic Register, you know, uh, guidelines in terms of, you know, changing the building. It'll be a big deal, whatever they do and however they do it and however much they can do it. Uh, I know uh, if you look at Cal, I think they're up to $360 million for their, uh, and I think they pretty much gutted their, uh, you know, Memorial Stadium. And then, uh, now they had some really serious uh, cracks in the foundation, uh, I mean, foot wide, you know, cracks all the way through the stadium based on sitting on an earthquake fault. Uh, but uh, it's a good question, and I don't think anybody's got an answer. And it's going to be a you know serious uh, project to uh, you know decide on uh, what they can do and how much is it going to cost and how long will it take. Okay, uh, let's move on to Kevin in South Orange County. He says, last season, the, the shotgun snaps from Khalid Holmes seemed low, and Barkley was constantly reaching to the ground in order to get the snap. What type of improvements slash changes have Khalid and Coach Craig made to get a more efficient snap off, and have you noticed the improvements in that area so far over the summer throwing sessions and now in fall camp? Actually, yes. Khalid uh, uh, has been interesting. He's, uh, he's approached it similar to last year in terms of because of the of the knack and uh, uh, and not wanting to uh, put any more pressure on that uh, you know kind of chronic neck injury, he has done uh, a great deal of work. Uh, you know, uh, you know, in, in the summer and, and uh, trying to you know be ready for the season. But he had the one the one calf injury, but he's looked good. I think I've been very pleased, and his snap. Certainly looks, uh, you know, much more, uh, you know, consistent. Uh, I've been very, uh, very impressed. We haven't. I mean, he does do a lot of snapping. That's the one thing he does in the summer. Uh, he does a lot of snapping, and I don't know that we've been, you know, concentrating on it. But but once practice has been here, uh, it, it, it's looked very consistent and uh, and a significant difference from last year. Uh, so, you know. That's what happens. I mean, that's why, uh, you know, last year was his first year as a center. And uh, now, you know, he's being touted, uh, you know, by a lot of the NFL draft people as, uh, you know, the most draftable, you know, top center in the country. Uh, so uh, there's a lot, you know, this matters for, you know, for Khalid. And, uh, uh, you know, he's a smart guy, but uh, his, uh, his snaps have significantly improved. And, uh, and that's really a good thing. I don't know exactly, you know, what you do other than you just do it. You just just work at it, and, and it becomes much more natural, and you get your stance just the way you're, you know, you're comfortable, and it just becomes a, uh, you know, repetition and repetition and repetition, and uh, it, it it seems to have worked. Yeah, it certainly has. And uh, what what have you seen from some of the backup stabbers? Khalid Holmes did come out for a little while. We saw Cyrus Hobby and uh, Abe Markowitz in there snapping too. I would guess uh, uh, Markowitz would be uh, would be the guy. Uh, Hobby might be a little bit more of a future prospect, uh, but you know they are thinking about about the future. The thing with Markowitz, Markowitz may have another year of eligibility. He had those two broken feet, one after the other, and uh, I think there is the potential that he gets the six-year medical, and he's you know in graduate school now, and so. Uh, uh, they may not have to make that call. Uh, you know, here's a guy he could step in now. I mean, he knows all the, obviously knows all the calls. You know, strong and, and tough kid, and, uh, good leader, and uh, kind of one of the 
guys that runs the show in, in the summer and the throwing sessions and all that. So uh, uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, when they look down the road, if, if they know exactly, uh, you know, what they're going to do. The other option always has been uh, John Martinez. You know, obviously they don't want to move him. And I think one of the reasons they don't think about Kevin Graff as a candidate to move from right tackle to left tackle is they really want to keep that combination at right guard, right tackle of John Martinez and Kevin Graff. But uh, John Martinez would also be, uh, you know, if they hit a long-term, you know, issue with, uh, with, uh, uh, with center. Uh, I, I guess one of the options that I threw out there, and, and I'm not sure if they would consider this, if there is a really long-term need for left tackle, is that a possibility uh, for Kevin or uh, for Khalid Holmes? Um, uh, he doesn't. If you're at left tackle, you probably don't have somebody lined up on your head, uh, which is one of the reasons they they moved him to center uh, because of the neck and the you know multiple stinger injuries and what have you. Well, that would also be the case at left tackle. He's a wide body guy, long arms. Uh, he's very good in space. And uh, it's much—it's more of a finesse thing uh, there, just so often because you are dealing with an edge rusher. Uh, so I've always wondered, would he be the next best uh, uh, solution if you had to come up with a, a long-term solution for the whole season and, have, and then slide Markowitz into center and you, you still have a veteran center? I know that's a double switch in a way, but it's not a double switch quite like it would be if you had Kevin Graff, uh, you know, moved over there. But, but anyway, I, I do think, um, you know, Colin Holmes, uh, uh, I think they're trying to do what's best for the team as well as what's best for Colin and his future in football. And uh, so I, I've always uh, haven't asked him yet that, that thought, but that's just something in the, uh, the, that's bouncing around in there. What do they do? Or do they decide, you know, if we can't, if Andre Walker can't, um, uh, for whatever reason, or has to have you know anything done, which we don't think is the case. But since we don't know, we're guessing. Uh, uh, do you go with Max Turk and say this kid's a you know 18-year-old freshman? That's almost impossible to start an 18-year-old freshman at left tackle. But would they and could they? And could they start two 18-year-olds right next to one another and Marcus Martin and Max Turk? That's never been done at this level in college football. I mean, as somebody was uh, talking to uh, Dick Weiss of the New York Daily News, and he was kidding yesterday when I told him about that. He said, uh, heck, in, uh, in some of these states where, uh, you know, Texas or the SEC, those kids wouldn't be juniors in high school, you know, uh, after they'd redshirted them in high school. So uh, that would be really uh, kind of an interesting uh, situation if you have a team that you're, you know, you're thinking about has a chance to win a national championship, and you got guys that are 18 years old. I mean, just just one guy in eight, you know who's 18 is almost unheard of. To have two of them next to one another would be just something that it's almost incomprehensible when you think about it. But uh, we'll see. We will. Um, we'll see what ends up happening on that offensive line, and over the next couple of weeks of fall camp. Uh, speaking of camp, uh, Andrew wanted to know. It's not well. I guess it'll be after camp. Is Essie sticking with the morning practices this year? Or are they switching back to the afternoons? Uh, morning. Uh, they're going at seven forty-five uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So, uh, yeah, we were uh, we were a little hopeful. Uh, other, uh, you know, they're not as bad for us actually. Uh, and I, I have a feeling. I guess the players will adjust a, a little bit more. I mean, I think one of the hardest things was. Uh, uh, let's say it was a night you didn't get to sleep as early as you really would have liked to. Uh, you can get through practice. I mean, I think they did fine in practice. Uh, it was then the extension of the rest of the day uh, that got a little long for some of them. So I think that was the big, the big adjustment is not, you know, being ready to, you know, get the most out of practice. They can handle that no matter how, you know, if you've had a little sleep, but, uh, but it catches up with you uh, sometime in the in the mid afternoon if you're in a class somewhere. Uh, so, uh, uh, but uh, we're sticking with them, and uh, that's the way it's going to be. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't mind. I mean, I kind of like getting it done early, uh, the afternoon, yep. kind of. But like you said, for the players, it's a, and it's an adjustment. We'll see if they can do it a second year in a row, if they make the adjustment a little bit better, because obviously you get kind of tired by the end of the day. Yeah, we weren't having to go to class. So we were, you know, it, it gets our day, you know, going early and, and over early, uh, and puts us in a whole different, you know. Uh, daily time frame and, and, and not bad at all, but uh, it's, um, uh, you know, I think it's because it, I think the kids, you know, they can bounce back and, you know, boom, and they're ready to go and, uh, you know, they'll they'll go through practice. I thought practices were better, actually. I thought they did a better job in practice. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. So uh, I think it was just the organization of the rest of their day. That was more of the challenge, but uh, but I thought practices went well, and I thought the conditions they they were a little slick at times because you still have that morning dew. So, uh, but as it turned out, you know, the good fortune they had last year is they had three or four games where it was kind of cold or slick or you know uh, you know conditions at, at say Notre Dame or Oregon, uh, Colorado, and they adjusted really well uh, to those kind of off conditions and I, I i would attribute some of that to practicing in the morning i thought they handled uh you know not ideal per, you know perfect weather conditions uh better than any usc team that that i think anybody can remember i mean they didn't they didn't uh you know have any problems uh on uh three road uh you know weather games that uh they just rolled right through so from that standpoint, you could see why Lane might want to keep keep doing this because they've got a game. Uh, let's see, you're, they're at Washington. It's early, but you never know at Washington. They're at Utah, uh, so uh, you know there are some possibilities of of games where the weather will be different, significantly different, say than it is in Southern California. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate all the insights of one you know one week of fall camp is in the books. We'll be back again next week talking to you for the second week of fall camp. Should be lots of interesting developments, so we'll talk to you then. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back again next week with another show. You can check out peristylepodcast.com for more. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.